0: Take your copies of the scriptures, if you would, and and turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, and I will be reading verses 1 through 11 this morning. Hear now God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Our Lord, we... We thank You so much for the Word that You have given to us. Uh, God, we have prayed this morning that we would love Your Word and that we would grow to know it. And so we pray today that that, that would be the case. That's our continued prayer. We pray that You would teach and instruct us. Uh, Lord, let us not just listen to a sermon, to listen to a sermon. But we pray, God, that You would speak to our hearts and that You would draw us ever closer to You today. Uh, Please cause us, Lord, to repent of our sins and to walk by faith, Lord, to enjoy uh, the delight of, of obeying you and to walking in the grace that you give us each and every day. We thank you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, there is probably nothing more that glorifies God than his children enduring suffering. Now that may sound strange, and you may not hear that in a lot of American evangelical churches, but, but it's very true. And, and I don't mean just enduring suffering, but acknowledging that suffering is not an accident. It's not something that, that comes random or happens by chance, but it comes from the very hand of God. And, and that we are willing to submit to God's discipline in faith. And, and relying on that hand uh, that is wounding us. Uh, knowing that it is the same hand that brings healing to us as God's people. And and there's nothing probably more that magnifies God than this, because our God is a God who understands suffering. Our God is a God who has come and He has suffered, that we might be here this morning to come and to worship Him. And I know some of you have experienced suffering, either directly or, or indirectly. Uh, in many ways, some have lost loved ones, whether that be your parents, whether maybe it is a spouse, or or even some, maybe who have lost children or or a very close friend. Um, there are those maybe here today who have children or, or have friends who are not walking with the Lord, even though they grew up in the church and at one time maybe professed faith in Him. There may be those here this morning who have debilitating diseases. And and every day of your life is chronic pain. Or every day of your life there's some special need. Maybe no one in here knows about that you suffer with each and every day. Maybe there are those who are here today who are single and lonely. Or maybe there are those that are here today who are married and lonely. Even though they have a spouse and and, and a family, they feel that that loneliness every day. Well, the suffering and pain that you experience as God's people is very real. And I I don't want to trivialize that in in any way. But I also believe that there's uh, more suffering yet to come for us as as the church, the American church. Maybe it's in the form that we read about, that we've been reading about in the book of Hebrews. And that is namely persecution that is coming. And and I don't say that as fear-mongering after the the Sunday after election, you know, and and saying because of a a new administration that's been elected that that that's going to be the case. I mean, the reality is is that the culture that we live in has been increasingly more and more hostile to Christianity. Um, And uh, it should not surprise us that Jesus said that they hated him and so they will hate us as his church as well. But the thing that shouldn't concern us is that persecution is a possibility. Rather, what happens when that persecution comes is what should concern us. Will we be people that will will stand and will honor the name of Christ, or will we uh, deny Him? I really believe that the church will be required to celebrate homosexuality, or whatever it is that, that our culture currently advocates at whatever given point in time in the future in their defiance against God and, and I don't and I mean it like this if you look at church history you see that the churches at times had to um, ha, has been told by the culture of what it needed to believe for example in Rome you know Rome says you need to acknowledge all the gods you know they didn't keep the Christians from believing in the one true God they just wanted the Christians to acknowledge that there were also other gods as well. But of course, as Christians, they couldn't do that because the Bible says you shall have no other gods before me. And, and I think that's what we're going to see in the culture as we move forward, brothers and sisters, that, that our culture is going to say to us, you can believe what you want to believe, but you also have to acknowledge the truth that we have as, as well. And so because we cannot do that, I think there will be great difficulties. And so we should think about those things. Uh, as one person stated so well, they said the American church has been built for success, not for suffering. The American church has been built for success, not suffering. And I think that's, that's sort of been the focus, but I think that's going to change. I think that's going to, to, to shift. And we should think about such things, uh, because as, as we know from what the Bible teaches, and particularly the parable of the sower and the seeds, how there's seed that was sown on the rocky soil. And when that seed sprung up, it said that people profess faith in Christ and they believed the word with joy. But Jesus went on to say, but when troubles came, when persecution comes on account of the word, immediately those people fell away. And, and one of my fears is for the American churches is that that will happen to us. And so now is the time for us to, uh, to get that theology of suffering um, in our heads and to be trained by God's Word. So as these things increasingly happen in our culture, one, we're not taken by surprise, but we also know where our hope is. Amen? And we need to understand exactly what it is that is happening when we go through times of suffering and when we are in times of trial. And and so, uh, like the early church, uh, the writer of Hebrews is is writing to them, and he says in verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Have you forgotten what God's Word tells you as sons of the living God? And the reality is they had forgotten. And brothers and sisters, I think it's just as easy for us to forget that as well. And, of course, then the writer goes on to quote from the book of Proverbs. But brothers and sisters, if we are to stand by faith to the end, we need a robust theology of suffering. Because most likely, as I said before, not only will we suffer, but I think our children, our grandchildren will as well, both individually and corporately. And so let's give attention, if we could, to our text this morning. This is written to a group of believers who are no strangers to suffering. They have lost a lot and and as the writer seeks to encourage them he, he will be encouraging us you see in their suffering he wants them to see correctly you know and i think it's worth noting before we get into the text just to mention this that the writer doesn't pray that the suffering will stop did you notice that he doesn't say brothers and sisters i'm so sorry to hear what you're going through i'm praying that this suffering will stop he doesn't do that he he loves these believers and He has great compassion for what it is that they are enduring. But He also knows that their suffering may not stop. That, that, that actually the suffering that they are going through is a good thing. So He wants them, in their the midst of the circumstances of their suffering, to see things cor- correctly. And specifically, He wants them to see two things. First of all, the suffering of Christ. He wants them to see the suffering of Christ. But secondly, the loving discipline of of their Heavenly Father. The loving discipline of their Heavenly Father. Uh, So these are the two things that that will help us as we go through those times of trials and difficulties. So first of all, the suffering of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against them so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. That's going to help us as we go through those times not to grow weary and to be faint-hearted. But what does he tell us to do? Well, first of all, he says, consider Him. That is, consider Jesus. We've already looked at verse 2 where he says, keep your eyes upon Jesus. And, and now he says, consider Him. Now that, that idea there, to consider, means to think or to, to reason with thoroughness or completeness. In other words, really process that. Really meditate on who Christ is. It means to think it out or to work it out. Or to reason through something. And, and so when you look to Jesus. You're you're not just thinking about. Oh Jesus died on the cross. Just in thinking of Jesus in generalities. But you're thinking about specific things. And you're connecting the dots. Between what Christ has done. And what you see in your life as well. What he wants us to see. is Is the suffering of Christ. And so he says consider him. That is. Jesus, the very Son of God, who has created all things and, and given all things good to His creation. So He says, Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. So the very Son of God, who has made all these things, has come into the world, but, but those whom He has made did not receive Him. As a matter of fact, they, they hated and they despised Him. Now, we hear that and it just goes over our heads. You know, I don't, you know, do you really know what it's like to have someone hate you? I think, you know, some of us might have people at work or a neighbor or maybe people in our family, I don't know, who who we don't get along so well with. You know, maybe they irritate us. Maybe that's the worst that happens to us. But there's very few of us that have people that actually hate our existence. That, that despise us. But when Jesus Christ came to earth, that's exactly what happened. And they rejected, and they beat Him, and they ultimately killed Him. And, and all this happened at the hands of sinners, people who were rebelling against God, who gave them everything good. Now, just think about what great injustice that is. When, when we irritate each other, or we sin against each other, that's a sinner sinning against a sinner. You can actually understand that. But, but here are sinners who are hostile to a holy and a perfect and a loving God. And, and so what great injustice that is. And so the author tells us to consider this so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. As, he, as he thinks through the suffering of Jesus and he considers it and he thinks about it, he says this is going to help you in your suffering. Now, now how? Well, first, I think it reminds us that suffering is part of the Christian life. Um, we read in in Hebrews turn back to Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 the writer is is talking about Jesus and and he says although he was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered so suffering was the path of of discipleship in essence I guess you could say for, for Jesus and and if this is true Jesus how much more is this true for us I mean Matthew uh, reminds us in his gospel in chapter 10 verse 24 that the disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. So if Jesus had to suffer and he learned obedience through what he suffered and how much more would that be the case for us? So a call to follow Christ is a call to suffer. I, I understand kids that that you memorized a verse from First Peter this morning in Sunday school. Um, Well, I'm going to quote, or I'm going to read a verse just a little bit before the one you memorized. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. It said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, he's saying it's not odd or strange for a Christian to suffer. Now, we don't understand that in the American church. As a matter of fact, we do everything we can to, to, to seek to get away from suffering. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I was telling some, somebody this week, I, I heard years ago that the church in China was praying for the church in America that God would bring persecution to us so that we might know Jesus. You know, but here we are trying to do everything we can to escape it, you know, because we think of it as something that's odd. But we read scripture here, no, it's something that should be expected. It's it's a natural part of the Christian life. And you're going, okay, Pastor Rick, I know this is supposed to encourage me, but I'm not feeling the encouragement that you're telling me we're supposed to suffer. But but it does. It reminds us that what we are experiencing in our suffering is not unusual. And so when that happens, we, we know that it is something that is the will of God, that it comes from His hand, and we can take great comfort in that. This isn't just evil men doing wicked things and, and having their own way with us. But actually, this is something that comes through the hand of God. Our, our suffering, God's correction, it's not condemnation. It's not a, a payment for our sin. You know, it's not satisfying some penalty that we owe God. It's not like, you know, we, we think, oh, you know, well, you know, I've, I've done this and this and this wrong, and now God's just paying me back you know he's 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 just God's just he's just out to get me you know and, and that's how some people can can approach God and think of their suffering and, and their trials but but we need to know this because the devil is is, is telling us you know he's telling us these things that he's saying that the father is extracting payment from you for the wrongs that you've done Satan brings to mind all of your sin and he condemns you and He, 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 he lays before you your guilt and, and your shame. And, and if Satan doesn't do it, just our consciences do that. Do they not? I mean, how many times this week, you know, did all of a sudden something come to mind, the sin that you had done, and just the guilt that you felt, and, and, and the condemnation, and maybe even the shame, depending upon the sin. But Jesus, brothers and sisters, has already paid for that sin. Uh, We we have not struggled against sin, as verse 4 tells us, to the point of shedding our blood. But, But Jesus has. That's the point. Jesus has. He has shed His blood. Jesus struggled. He wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. He bled and died on the cross to pay your guilt. And God the Father will never dishonor the sacrifice of the Son by requiring those who trust Him to pay the slightest degree for what Christ has already paid for. It's done. It's finished. There may be those of you who are here this morning who have let yourself believe that your current trial is God punishing you for your sins. That God is making you pay for what you've done. You, 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 but the reality is you never can. You never will pay for your sin. You can't do enough good to outweigh the bad and the sin that you have done. Your suffering is not God making you pay, brothers and sisters. Well, some Christians may be here today and they may say, well, they may reason something like this. Well, actually what it is, is it's the consequences of my sin. You know, and so I'm suffering the consequences of my poor decision and my sin. You know, if I if I hadn't lost my temper with my boss and chewed him out. I probably would be employed right now, right? Or if I had not been so harsh in parenting my kids, then then they will still be speaking to me um, rather than, uh, you know, never never seeing them. If I had not been addicted to alcohol, I would not have made those bad decisions. If I had not been a workaholic, then I would still have my family. And, and we could just go on and on and on with our sin and say, wow, I wish... That, you know, I had not done these things. I, I would not be in this mess if I, if I hadn't. But I, I did those things, and so here I am. I'm suffering the consequences, and I just need to accept that. Now, that sounds very noble, does it not? But the reality is, brothers and sisters, that's not Christianity. Uh, God's children don't live in consequences. Now listen to me carefully. Okay, that may sound odd, but God's people don't just live in slaves to consequences. God's children live in providences, in God's working and overseeing of our lives. We don't live in the consequences of past failures, but we live in the providences of Christ's accomplishment and God's purposes. He's working something out in us. Uh, The things that come our way aren't just by chance, but they come by the hand of God, and this happens all the time. And that's why the writer goes on uh, to, to challenge these readers to remember And that leads us to the second thing. That is the loving discipline of our Heavenly Father. Look at verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. As I said, this is taken from Proverbs 3. And and what he says, first of all, he said a number of things here, but first of all, he, he points out that as Christians, we are adopted into God's family. Uh, we are sons we are his we're part of his family uh, have you ever thought about the fact that all the steps of salvation are necessary you think about election and you realize I understand why election is a case because I would never see God matter of fact the Bible says no one pursues God so election is very necessary God's calling on our life this effectual calling is justification and so on and so forth and you you look at all these things And this great chain of salvation, and you go, yeah, I can see why all these things are necessary. But what you may not see is, why does God have to take us into His family? Why does He have to adopt us? Why is that so important? What does that do for our salvation? Well, let me suggest to you this morning that it is to show us His love for us. To show us His love for us. Saving us was not simply to get us out of hell. God's purpose in saving us was not simply just to to forgive us. God's purpose in saving us was to make us a member of His family. Where He pours out His love and His grace and His favor to us as His children. This is so important for us to grasp as believers. You know, when when that understanding of the truth of adoption begins to permeate our soul, there is such... A, a security, such a, a sense of rest, such a desire for obedience that comes over us as as we know the Lord. First uh, John, John says, First John three said, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God." And he said, "And so we are." Amen. Amen. Well, the writer says to these Christians and to us today, have you forgotten this? Have you forgotten this most essential truth? In the midst of your suffering, have you forgotten who you are as a child of God? Have you forgotten about who your father is? One of the things we know about a loving father is that he disciplines his children. Verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son Whom he receives. Now, that word discipline, you know, if you've been in Sunday school, you know one of the things we're supposed to look for as we're studying the Bible is terms that are used over and over and over, right? And this word discipline is used over and over and over in this text. So it's really important. Now, when we think of discipline, kids, when you think of discipline, what do you think of? Maybe your parents correcting you for something that you did wrong. And that's oftentimes the way that that we view it. But actually, the word that is used here is the idea of raising up a child. So it's not just corrective uh, behavior, but it's also teaching. It's guiding. It's training a child. And yes, sometimes it involves that which hurts. Right kids? You know that. Well the word translated chastisement means flog. It means scourging. It means to whip. And you think, wow, that's a powerful word. It is. It's a. It's very strong language. And God is one who scourges us, who 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 whips us. And in other words, sometimes God's discipline hurts. But but I would suggest to you that that word conveys more than just the fact that sometimes God's discipline hurts, but that God is willing to go to whatever lengths necessary to cause us to grow up in the right way, and and He will take us down the most painful paths if necessary to, to cause us to grow up uh, in the right way. And, and you might be tempted to think that, well, God would never do that. And, and I've heard people say that. Well, my God would never do that. And I'd say, then then your God is not the God of the Bible. Because it says very clearly in Scripture that, that He will do that. He will scourge us uh, if necessary. Time, sometimes the only way God... It's through to us in our sin and stubbornness is to allow a painful ordeal in our lives. And I'm not just talking about a bad day, but I'm talking about periods of suffering. I'm talking about seasons in your life, extended periods of time where sometimes there is great difficulty. God sometimes has to take us through very difficult waters uh, to accomplish His work in us. Well, the writer wants us to understand that our suffering is evidence of our sonship says in verse 7, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You see, our suffering is evidence that God, our, our Father, is lovingly training us. And so the trials that come into our lives are not just the consequences of our past actions. Uh, tragedies are not simply the consequences of living in a fallen world. Instead, all these things come from the hand of God. Even the suffering that occurs in our lives do not happen because of circumstances or, or consequences or chance, but by the fatherly hand of God. Even the suffering that comes to us because of our own sins, and if I could use this word, forgive me kids, I know you're not supposed to use this word, but our own stupidity, even the suffering that comes as a result of those things comes from the hand of God. And and isn't that amazing that the things that you suffer because of your sin and because of your stupidity come from the hand of a loving Father. They're not to pay you back for your sins. They're they're not to be uh, uh, just random suffering. But it comes from a Father who loves us. It's not just God saying, you made your bed, now you've got to sleep in it. It's, it's, It's God as a Heavenly Father purposely training us and teaching us and guiding us. And brothers and sisters, this is a concept that we have to grasp. We have to embrace this. We have to to love this. And so when God brings those things into our lives, we, we have a context by which to understand these things. As I said earlier, I think it's hard for the American Christian to think of God as bringing pain into our lives. And so we have a tendency to assign that pain to some other reason. There's some other reason why that's happening but the text tells us that it is God the Father who brings discipline into our lives and we need to understand that and this is an encouragement brothers and sisters if we think about it because it tells us that we belong to Him we are His children and He disciplines us, He takes us through those times because He loves us that that much it's it's part of what God is doing in our lives Look at verse 8. It said, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I mean, could you imagine being in a house with a number of kids and all the kids in that household are lovingly disciplined, but not you. Uh, As a matter of fact, no matter what you do, there's no discipline. There's no guidance. There's no training. There's no correction whatsoever. It doesn't matter how bad you are. There's just Nothing and you never receive any discipline. Instead, you're just simply ignored. Now, would you feel loved by that? No, of course not. But God loves us. Thomas Brooks put it this way. He said, there cannot be a greater evidence of God's hatred and wrath than His refusing to correct men for their sinful courses and vanities. Where God refuses to correct their God resolves to destroy. There is no man so near God's axe or so near the flames, so near hell, as he whom God will not so much as spend a rod upon. God won't even correct him because He doesn't love him. I remember my wife, when our kids were little, um, she would tell them whenever they got caught in sin, God loves you so much. As a matter of fact, you need to thank God that He loved you enough to let you get caught in your sin. He said, if God didn't love you, He wouldn't have let you get caught. He would have let you just continue on in your evil ways. But that is an expression of God's love. And that's so true. I mean, Jesus said even, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So brothers and sisters, that's good news. We, we When we suffer as a Christian, we must remember... Uh, that God does not afflict the heart of the children of men. He doesn't correct those who are wicked, but He disciplines His children because He loves them. And we must remember in our suffering that God has not forgotten us. Look at verses 9 and 10. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but... He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. You see, we see in verse 9 that God disciplines us because He wants us to live. If God didn't discipline us, we would die in in our sin. If He does not train us and and lead us and guide us in the paths of righteousness, we we would die. But yet, the text tells us that He leads us into holiness. Uh, Verse 14 says, No one will see the Lord without Holiness holiness is, is that idea of being set apart to God. It's, it's a mind and a heart and a body and a soul of devotion to the Lord. Holiness is outward evidence of God's work in our hearts. And there's nothing that is more effective in producing holiness in us than suffering. You know, our human fathers uh, do their best to discipline us. Our human mothers do their best to discipline us. And and uh, you know, but no. But every parent knows that what they do is not perfect. But that's not the case with our heavenly Father. Everything He does is good. It is is perfect. But verse eleven says that while everything that God does is perfect, He says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You think about it, parents. And especially for you young parents as you're, you're training your kids and you're in the middle of that, 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 that discipline and training and equipping and the kids don't seem to be getting it. And it seems like you have to do a lot more corrective discipline than <laughs> proactive discipline. And you know, you're just really wrestling every day. And you can just think, ah! and, it, and the kids are just talking about how painful it is and how difficult it is and things. And yet, we know that later on, it will produce fruit in those kids. Those kids will grow up most likely to love the Lord to be good citizens in, in, in this life and and you know I've been blessed by our kids who come back and said mom dad you know we didn't like it when you disciplined us but thank you so much for doing that. That that has helped us so much and there's nothing more that a parent likes to, to hear than that. Well as, as believers it's, it's the same way that pain that those difficulties are, it's, it is truly painful. But we know that there is an outcome. But before we talk about that outcome, I, I just want us to see this, that we need to acknowledge the pain of suffering. And God's discipline is good, but it does hurt. And suffering is real. I mean, Christ's suffering was real. And, and our suffering is no less real. And, and so, losing a loved one is, is desperately painful. We ought not to minimize that. Being single when you desperately desire to be married and to have a family can be very painful. Chronic pain not only saps your strength physically, but even affects your soul and causes a weariness there. Brothers and sisters, we, we must never belittle or dismiss someone else's suffering. God doesn't dismiss it. I think it's interesting, in Isaiah 43, verse 2, uh, the prophet Isaiah gives a word from the Lord where God says to His people, you're going to go through deep waters, but I'm going to go there with you. He promises to be with them in the midst of that suffering and that difficulty, as, as hard as it is. And, and, and God doesn't dismiss our suffering. As a matter of fact, Psalm 56, 8, says that the tears of God's children are precious to Him. So let us never dismiss someone else's pain or move away from people who are hurting, but let us move towards those in pain. And, and I know that that could be awkward. It could be most difficult. But it, but as we reflect the glory of who God is as His bride, uh, it, we will move towards people in hurt and in pain. But as I said, there, there's also a promise attached to that pain that, that occurs through discipline. The the loving discipline of God, which is painful for a time, we read in verse 11, yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we can comfort one another as we're in our pain, but we can also encourage others that God is is really leading them in this discipline somewhere. There's, There's a fruit that He's working to produce in them as a result of this discipline. God in His perfect wisdom is leading us uh, through our circumstances and pain because He is hungering for us to experience uh, holiness, uh, knowing eternal peace, and and honor of bearing the fruit of righteousness, which He produces in our lives as He takes us through those difficult times. John Piper, uh, talking about this chapter, and particularly about these verses, He said, this is not a feel-good chapter about how to make the best of your troubles, or even about how God makes the best of your troubles. It's a massive statement about the gracious sovereignty of God over the evil that befalls His people. And the question is, do we believe that? Do we we entrust ourselves to God as, as He disciplines us, as He takes us through these things? Will you accept the mystery of God's providence in the pain in your life? And will you be trained by that? Will will you embrace the Lord in the midst of that? Or, Or will you kick this morning against God's Word and demand when you suffer that God give a better account of Himself than He does here in this passage? Do you find yourself accusing God and challenging Him? You see, Jesus calls us to believe Him, to believe His Word submit to the Father's hand because it was that same hand that brought His Son to the cross to bear our sin and our guilt so that we wouldn't have to. It was that same hand that changes all the circumstances of your life from condemnation to circumstances of grace even though it hurts. So I want us to consider just a couple things in closing. First of all, Consider your life and your circumstances. The, the things that, that you're anxious about this morning. The things that you fear. The, the difficult things that, that, that and the trials that you are going through. All, bring all of these things into the, the context of this truth. Bring it into the context of the reality of a Savior who suffered for you. And a Father who loves you. Let let that rebuke and admonish your fear. Let it bring peace where, where right now you're wrestling with anxiety and worry. Your life is not coming to you by chance or by consequences, but by God's purpose, providence. And that same providence that brought Jesus Christ to the cross is the same one that comes to you this morning. The second of all, I want you to just consider your status. How do you view yourself? Are you a child of God? You see, the blessings are for God's children that He's talking about here. You know, everything doesn't work together for the good of everyone in life. You know, Romans 8.28 says, but we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to His purpose, it's for His children. Are you His child? Have you submitted yourself in faith to, to Jesus Christ? Confessing your sin and trusting in what He alone accomplished. If you have not done that, then my invitation is for you to do that today. What would keep you from from these blessings? What would keep you from wanting to be part of God's family? And so consider that this morning. But finally, that we would consider Jesus. You don't have to be in the midst of a great trial to be missing Jesus. You know, consider Jesus in the reality of your life right now. Think about who He is and why He came and what He came to accomplish and and where He is today and, and why all this should matter to you. I mean, think about how you do your day. Think about your daily schedule, your daily routine and all the things that you do. And my question is, where does Jesus fit into all that? Where does Jesus fit into all that? Think about how you're you're living your life. Think about the things that preoccupy your, your mind and your thought life. Think about your desires and your passions. Brothers and sisters, think about who Jesus is and that He's coming again. Consider Jesus, my friend, because that is how a Christian walks. That is how a Christian lives. And as we do that in our everyday life, then when those times of trials come, when God brings His hand of discipline into our lives to train, to equip us, to correct us, then we just continue to walk with Jesus. Because our eyes are fixed upon Him, trusting in Him, knowing that He is a God who both suffers and lovingly disciplines us. Let's bow our heads this morning and just take some time to to reflect upon the Word God this preach this morning. Please bow with me if you would. So much that your word is um, adequate for everything for what we are to believe and, and how we are to live. And not just in times of, of joy and, and great rejoicing and, and pleasantries in life, but Lord, even in the hard things of life. And to see and to understand where these things come from and that it is our, 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 our loving Father who is behind all of this. It is our older brother, Jesus Christ. Who has suffered for us and, and i just pray lord that these things would be fixed upon our minds but i think sometimes god when we talk about suffering it can be like a lighthouse in the daytime you know you, you think about how effective a lighthouse is it's usually only really super effective in the midst of a storm and in the difficulties and and we may hear these things today and we may not be suffering so we may not be tempted to give much thought to these things but what i pray that you would store these things in our hearts, and our minds, so as we do encounter those difficult things, that that this truth would bring us comfort. It would draw us back to You, to Lord, where we uh, embrace You. We we sit at Your feet. Lord, we cry out to You, knowing that You are good, and the things that are happening in our lives are are not only good, but they are producing a fruit in us. Uh, Lord, I pray for those that do not know You today, that they are not sons, Uh, But they are working, they are living as aliens. Uh, They are living as as orphans. That's the word I'm looking for, orphans, Lord, in this world. I pray, Lord, that that they would give their hearts to you, uh, to know you, and to enjoy the sweet fellowship and the joy of what it means to be part of your family. Uh, We thank you, Lord, and and pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.